One of my favorite books uh, is, I think, a kid's book. I don't know if it was intended for kids, but I love it. Uh, it's called Children's Letters to God. And what it is is actual letters that kids wrote to God. Now, I don't know who they mailed them to or how that all worked, but somebody had got these letters and sort of put them together in a book. And uh, I just find it amusing when I read through it. Let me show you just a few of my favorites from the book. One of them says, Dear God, in Sunday school they told us what you do. Who does it when you're on vacation? That was from Jane. Dennis writes, Dear God, my grandpa says you were around when he was a little boy. How far back do you go? And Joyce writes, Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> Quite a difference. <laughs> and finally, Dear God, we read Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school they said you did it, so I bet he stole your idea. <laughs> Sincerely, Donna. When you listen to how children think about God, we can be reminded that it, God's actually difficult to conceptualize. He can be hard to think about. Questions such as, what is God? Or who is God? Or what exactly does God do? Are important questions, yet sometimes difficult to actually articulate an answer to. So what we want to do this morning is do that try to answer those questions, what is God, who is God, and what does God do, as a way of reminding ourselves and focusing on God, who is what we are thinking about this morning. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. It's page 826 in the Bibles that are underneath your seats. Ephesians chapter 1. Now last week we began with an overview of God's plan for the world, which also happens to be an overview of the book of Ephesians. And essentially it's this, that God is planning on bringing all things that are broken in this world back together under Christ. While that's consummation is in the future, God has begun a pilot program, so to speak, called the church, a place or a realm now in which Jesus is reigning as Lord. And what God is doing is inviting people to be part of that realm. Well, as you can imagine, in a realm or a place that is different from this world where Jesus is reigning today as Lord, that there is an orientation that's necessary. There is a basic review and an understanding of what are the rules and major players in this realm of the church or this place where God is currently reigning through Jesus. And so the first two and a half chapters of the book of Ephesians is essentially a review of the fundamental beliefs of Christianity. 
Paul is introducing his readers and us into this new world. And what he does is he systematically goes through essential beliefs that are true in this world. And so what we want to do, and really the first part of our sermon series in the book of Ephesians, is we want to do the same thing. We want to teach through basic fundamental beliefs of Christianity as Paul brings them up. Now, there's two things that are going to make this first part of our sermon series in the book of Ephesians feel slightly different. The first is is that it will be more oriented towards teaching than towards preaching. It's important to go through the basic fundamental ideas of what we believe as Christians. And in order to do that, we want to teach through some important doctrines of the faith. And so it will feel more like teaching than like preaching, but I still believe it will be very applicable to our lives. The second way it may feel slightly different than other parts of the sermon series or previous sermon series have felt is that there will be times we will not be sticking as closely to the words of the text, but we'll be using them as a launching point to investigate the wider idea in the Bible that Paul raises in the section in Ephesians. Is that fair? Great. You don't really have much of a choice, but that's what we're going to be doing, so I wanted to let you know that up front. So let's start where Paul starts in Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll read verses 3 through 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Where Paul begins his orientation, his sort of causing us to think about the major basic beliefs of this new world in which Christ is reigning as Lord, is that he doesn't begin with himself. He doesn't begin with us. He starts with God. That that is pivotal in this new pilot program that God is beginning in this world. That it is fundamentally not about us. That a place where Jesus is reigning as Lord today is a place in which we are not reigning as Lord. And so Paul starts not with us, but with God, and that everything is oriented around who God is. And that's where we want to begin our time in Ephesians together, as we want to think about God and orient ourselves to what it is we believe about God. And I want to start with the question, what is God? Now, You may think, well, God sounds like a person. Wouldn't the more normal place to be to start with the question, who is God? We will get there. 
But I would like to start with the question, what is God? If we were going to try to define God, what is God? Now, we could use a number of different adjectives to try to describe God. The Bible certainly does this. God is good. God is holy. God is big. God is eternal. God is immutable. There are thousands of adjectives that the Bible uses to try to describe God for us. And we could go down that road to try to get an idea of what is God. But there are three statements in the Bible that are noteworthy because they do not use an adjective to describe God but instead use a noun to in some ways define God. Instead of saying God is like this, they say God is this. And there are three and only three in all the Bible that do this. And so we want to start in our attempt to understand God with these three statements. And we're going to take them in the order in which they appear in the Bible. The first one is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 24. There Jesus tells us, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. Not God is spiritual. That would be an adjective. Here, God is somehow defined as being spirit. God is spirit. Now, this doesn't mean God is the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that in a little bit. What it means is, is that God at his essence is not physical or material. God is spirit. He has no body. Now, while we sometimes talk about the arm of the Lord or the face of God or the hand of God, these are simply poetic devices that we're using to describe God. He doesn't really have a hand. He doesn't have a face. God is spirit, which means that he's not material, that he exists in a spiritual realm. He has no physical body like you and I have a physical body. He's not a material being. God is, at his essence, spirit. Now, what this means is, is that because God is spirit, he's not bound by the same kinds of limitations that you and I have because we do have a body. So, for example, David says in Psalm chapter 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand hold me fast. God is everywhere. 
We call this omnipresent. That means because God is spirit, he is not bound by spatial features. We could also have said it this way. David could have said, if I go into the future, you are there. If I travel back into the past, you are there. Because God is spirit, because God does not have a physical body, he is not limited by time or space. He is everywhere present at the same time. Now this is good news if you're a believer in Jesus because this means that wherever you go, wherever you travel to, whatever unknown situation you are heading into, whether in the future or right now, God's already there. He's already there waiting for you. That there's no place that we go that God is not. God is not bound or limited by time and space. There is nothing in our future that God is not already inhabiting. There is no place that he will send us that he's not already there when we get there. That's good news. There's also some bad news associated with the fact that God is at his essence, spirit. This means that God is present everywhere and that when we are engaging in activities we should not be engaging in, God is there too. God is at every high school party. God is looking over our shoulder as we surf the internet late at night. God hears every phone conversation and reads every text because God is spirit. He's not bound by time or space. He is everywhere. It also means that he's invisible. That this realm in which we interact with God is a realm that we interact with him by faith, not by sight. Now, this invisible God does some things to make himself visible, and we'll talk about one of those next week. But God at his essence is spirit which means he is invisible to us. We cannot see him. We experience him, but he is invisible to us. God is spirit. That's the first defining statement in the Bible that uses a noun to define God. He is spirit. The second statement that we have in the Bible is found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. God is light. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. This doesn't say God is bright or God is shiny. Those would be adjectives. Instead, God is light. Now, what does that mean? Well, to understand what it, understand what it means, we have to think about light against the backdrop of darkness. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Darkness is the idea of sin or confusion or disobedience. That's what darkness represents. God is light means that he is holy. He is pure. There is no evil within him whatsoever. There is nothing about God that is in any way impure. What that means is, is that God cannot lead us astray. 
that if we want to come out of the darkness of this world, God is the light that leads us out. That whatever he tells us to do is always the right thing for us to do. There's no impurity in him whatsoever. There's no impure motives. Everything that he does, everything that he is, is absolutely pure and holy. God is light. He cannot deceive us. This is why it says in the Bible that it is impossible for God to lie, which leads to this great statement in 2 Timothy 2.13. Even if we are faithless to God, He will remain faithful. Why? Because He cannot disown Himself. At the very essence of who He is, He's light. He must be faithful to His promises. He cannot lie. He cannot do anything that is not good and right and just. God is at his essence completely and totally pure light. Now there is a downside to this. And that is for those who want to stay in darkness. Who want to embrace a life of sin and disobedience. The problem is, is that God is at his essence light. And what light does to darkness is it destroys it. See, light and darkness cannot coexist together. You can't have this room be lit and dark at the same time. It's impossible. And the problem is, is for those who are mired in a life of sin and rebellion and rejection of God, God cannot have a relationship with them. It's not because he doesn't want to. It's because at his essence, he's light. And light, what kind of relationship is light and darkness are they going to have together? It's impossible. And so the problem is, is because God is light, when we cling to darkness, God's presence is a danger to us. Because God is light. That's the second definition of God's essence. God is spirit and God is light. There is a third statement that is given in 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 and also in 1 John chapter 4 verse 16. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Or in 1 John 4:16, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. God is love. Not God is loving, but God is love. That fundamental to the essence of who God is is that he is love. He's not just spirit and light. He is love. That is the essence of his being. This is why we describe God as being merciful and compassionate and gracious and kind because he is love. He is love. That's who he is. This is why when we were in our sermon series in the book of Exodus, the benediction that we said from Exodus chapter 34 where God introduces himself to Moses, he says, you want to know what my name is? My name, the long version, is the Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, 
abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God is love. He cannot interact with us in any way other than love. This past Monday, I was having a period of uh, discouragement, to say the least, and I was sitting at my desk and I was praying earnestly in the midst of these a discouraging time. And while I was doing that, while I was praying, when I finished, I looked up and there was an email waiting for me. Just one new email. You know how you go to your inbox and you check and there's just one new email. And I opened up that email and it happened to be the exact answer to what I was praying. And it was an encouragement from the Lord. You know, he doesn't have to do that. He could have just said, hey, buddy, pull it together. Get a grip. He could have said, I'm too busy to deal with your little problems right now. But he didn't do that. Because at his essence, he's love. That's how he engages with us. He is kind. He's good. He's compassionate. He's gracious. God is love. Now, I know that sometimes it feels like God doesn't love us. And I know that that's a valid feeling that we have. But the Bible tells us that can't possibly be the case. Because God is not described as being loving. See, if God was loving, then it's conceivable we could exhaust His love for us. But God is at His essence, love. And because God is infinite... The love God has for us cannot ever be exhausted. It's the essence of who He is. He cannot engage with us except in love. There is no other way, even when He disciplines us or when He punishes us. Everything that He does in connection with us or anyone else is always in love because that's His essence. God is spirit. God is light. God is love. That's the answer to the question, what is God? It actually is what's underlying what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, the verses that we read. Look back at them again quickly. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless spirit and here is light and then verse 5 in love he predestined us the essence of what is God God is spirit God is light God is love that leads to a second question we want to ask this morning about God who is he we've talked about what he is but who is God. Paul points the way forward in the verses that we read because he describes or labels or talks about God the Father, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and near the middle of the chapter he will speak about the Holy Spirit. This is what we refer to as the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is who God is. There is one God who is spirit, light, 
and love, but this one God eternally exists in three distinct persons. God the Father, the Son, who we call Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Now this is a mystery that is beyond our comprehension. How can there be one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons? There is no way to adequately explain this, but there is an analogy that though not perfect, I find to be useful in my little ability to understand God. And it is the analogy of water. Water has a chemical composition of H2O, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. But if you take that chemical composition H2O, there are actually three substances in this universe that have that exact same chemical composition. Ice, liquid water, and steam or vapor. And on a warm summer day when you've got a glass of liquid water with ice in it, and you take a drink of that nice cold water and you see your breath coming out of your mouth as you breathe out, what you have present is all three forms of H2O at the same time. Ice, liquid water, and vapor, all present at the same time. So it is with God, so to speak. God's chemical composition, if you will, is that God is spirit, light, and love. That's what he is. But this God that is spirit, light, and love exists in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are God, but they have distinctives to who they are and what they do in the same way that ice, liquid water, and steam have slightly different, though related, functions in this world. So it is with God, that when we interact with the God who is spirit, light, and love, the persons whom we are interacting with is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not Allah, or Buddha, or Krishna, or Hamosh, or Baal. God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. That's who God is. Let me answer then one more question. What does God do? We've talked about what he is. God is spirit, light, and love. We've talked about who God is. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does God do? Well, God's got lots and lots of activities. He's busy. But if you were going to summarize all the things God did under one heading, one major activity that God does, God gives life. That's what God does. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
the first part of that verse is talking about the original creation, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness. This is talking about in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into him the spirit of life. That is the creation of the whole physical world. Everything that we know, Paul says, God's the one who did that. And the same God who created everything that we see out of nothing, that same God is recreating us in the image of Christ. That as his creation fell into darkness and sin and rebellion and experienced death, that what God is doing today is recreating life. That he's speaking into our hearts these same words. Let there be light. And in the darkness of sin and confusion and disobedience, we are being recreated by God. That's what God does. He gives, sustains, and rescues life. We just got done with a sermon series on the book of John. It's interesting how God ties all of these things together. In the book of John, Jesus gives seven statements, I am statements. He says, first off, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He says, I am the gate, the doorway to life. I am the good shepherd, the one who leads the sheep to the pastures of life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine that gives life to the branches. At his essence, what does God do? God gives, creates, sustains, and rescues life. That's his chief activity. God is the giver and sustainer of life. First in creation and all the world, and then in new creation, when we have fallen and disobeyed God, God gives to us eternal life. What is God? God is spirit, God is light, God is love. Who is God? God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. And what does God do? God creates, sustains, and rescues life. Now what difference does this make to us today? Well, imagine that you're here this morning and that you are a believer in Jesus but you found out this week or this past month that your spouse has been unfaithful to you. Because God is spirit, it means that he is with you right now. Because God is spirit, it means that he's never left you, that he's been near to you and that wherever you go in the future, in this new confusing journey, God will be with you. Because God is light, it means that in the middle of the darkness of that sinful situation, God is shining his light to show you the way out. That whatever God advises you to do in that situation will be absolutely pure and right and be the very best thing for you. That his light will guide you forward. Because God is love, 
It means that at his essence, all of his interactions with you will be loving and that the love that your spouse has robbed you of, God will replace. And that as he interacts with you, that God the Father will somehow plan to use this tragedy in your life for your good. You can't see how now, but he will be able to do that. That God the Son, who knows what it's like to be betrayed, is right now at the right hand of the Father, sympathizing with you and interceding for you. And that God the Spirit is present with you, giving you the strength to go on. And that in this whole situation, God is creating new life out of death. That this feeling of death in your marriage, this feeling of betrayal, that God in his infinite power can come in the midst of that death and somehow create new life. Suppose you're here and you're not a believer yet in Jesus. What does this mean to you? It means because God is spirit, there is a whole world, a spiritual world all around you that you must not remain ignorant of. That just because you cannot see God does not mean that God does not exist. He is spirit. You're not going to be able to see him, but he is here. And you must not remain ignorant of the spiritual world in which we live. Because God is light, it means that he wants to lead you out of where you are, but you must not remain in rebellion against God, in ignorance and in disobedience. God's presence is a danger to you. That God who is all around, who is everywhere, he is to destroy you, not because he wants to, but because he's light. And if you stay in darkness, the only thing that can result when you meet God is that he can have no relationship with you. Darkness has no fellowship with light. But because God is love, that is not his desire. The longing of his heart is not to destroy you. The longing of his heart is to bring you into fellowship with him. And therefore, God the Father has planned a way that those who are his enemies can be adopted as his children. And God the Son, Jesus, has executed that plan, coming to earth, dying on a cross, being raised from the dead to provide forgiveness of sins, the light of life that erases the darkness. And God the Holy Spirit is here this morning wanting to give that gift to you. In all of this, God is doing what only God can do, creating new and eternal life. That in the midst of the death of sin and disobedience, there is the hope of new life in God. What is God? God is spirit, God is light, God is life. Who is God? God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. And what does God do? God creates, sustains, and rescues life. 
Everything begins with God because God is the center of the universe that we are being invited into. May we understand him better and love him more deeply and realize what he is, who he is, and what he does. Let's pray together. God, it is inconceivable to us that we would be able to understand you. That you are distant from us, but yet near to us. Help us to know you better. To experience you more fully, Lord. Our minds are filled with misperceptions and lies. That sometimes we think that you're just like we are. Sometimes we think that you are mean and vindictive. Sometimes we think that you are deceitful. Father, clear those thoughts from our minds. Help us to understand who you are and to relate to you. God, we thank you for the life that you give to us. May it be ever-present in us, springing up to a new kind of existence, made possible through the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name and by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen.